Well, praise the Lord. It's good to be with you this morning, and thank you for the warm welcome, Brother Bertie. And we've been praying with you and believing God with you for God to move uh, mightily in these days. Let's uh, turn to God's Word, settle our hearts this morning, ask for help, ask for the Spirit of God to move, to speak, to give His ears, to hear, hearts that are open. May God have His way. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask for Your help. Lord, we realize we can put everything in place. We can have all the activity. Lord, we can have every T crossed and every I dotted, but Lord, how we need the breath of God. Oh God, this morning we ask for Your help as we turn to Your precious Word that You would anoint us both to preach and to hear. Lord, we ask, O oh God, that you would come down amongst your people today. Lord, you would stir our hearts. You would speak with the voice that wakes the dead. O oh God, we need, we need a breath from heaven. Lord, we need the power of the Holy Ghost. Lord, we need a stirring in the hearts of your people, O oh God. Lord, we need a cleansing, Lord, and a purging of all unbelief and death, Lord, and unforgiveness, Lord. And oh God, we ask for your help, we ask for your grace, we ask, Lord, we ask in faith, believing, Lord, that you're a God that hears, and that you're a God that answers. We serve a living God, the one, the true, the living, and the almighty God. And oh God, we ask today that you would come down amongst us, oh God, and do a work. Oh God, do a work, Lord, not of the flesh, not of the arm of flesh, it will fail us but of the power of the Spirit of God, a work that lasts, an eternal work, O oh God. Lord, would you give help this morning. Lord, we recognize our frailty. We recognize our weaknesses. Lord, we recognize, Lord, we're but dust, but O oh God, would you breathe? Would you breathe upon us? Would you glorify your wonderful name? We ask it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, would you turn into John, the Gospel of John, chapter 4, and verse 34. John, chapter 4, and verse 34. And the title of this message, I believe the Lord has stirred in my heart just a few weeks ago. Uh, the title of this message is, When God Steps Into the Boat. When God Steps Into the Boat. John chapter 4 and verse 34, Jesus said unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already the harvest. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. And we know the Lord will bless the reading of his word. I want for a few moments, if you would come with me and just go through some scriptures, I want to uh, just take a little bit of time as an introduction and establish uh, some biblical truths and principles that are found in the Word of God. God has laws that He has set forth in His Word, divine laws that govern nature. He gave laws also to Israel as His chosen people. And there are divine laws in the spiritual realm that God has set forth in His precious Word. They're very important that we understand that God is a God of order, that God is sovereign over all the affairs of men, that God is the one that raises up and God is the one that takes down. These laws are important and they are bound by the Word, the power of God's Word. In Isaiah 40 and verse 8, the Bible says that the grass withereth and the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. How many people know that God's word never fails? He never fails. He's a God that cannot lie. 
There are laws that are set forth and established by God. In Genesis chapter 8, if you turn over, I'd like you to follow some of these verses just as we lay out a foundation this morning. But in Genesis chapter 8 and verse 22, here we see laws that God has set forth in nature. In Genesis 8 verse 22, the Bible says, While the earth remaineth, there is seed time and there are harvest. There's cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night it shall not cease. These are divine laws of nature that God has set forth in His Word. They will never fail while there is an earth. They will never fail. There will be seed time. Just remember this. And there's also there's harvest time. There's a harvest as well. God has established these laws in nature. They will not fail. They will not be amended by man. And also God would set forth laws concerning His people Israel. How they lived and how they walked spiritually would affect that which also is uh, the natural. You see, our nation, the laws that are govern our nation uh, and the life, the spiritual life of our nation is, being af- is affecting the natural realm. The nation that forgets God the Bible says, shall be turned in to hell. If you look at the five people that occupy our governments, our seats of government in these two islands, you'll see that when the heathen rule, that the people will mourn because of the spiritual condition of the land. So that will have an effect upon that which is the natural. It's important to know uh, these things. But if you look over into Leviticus chapter 26 with me, just follow this through. Uh, For a few moments, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. I want you to see it uh, from God's Word. Leviticus chapter 26. And here the Lord is setting forth to His chosen people, Israel, uh, conditions in which He would require them to walk and how they would obtain His blessing and how we need the blessing of the Lord on the mission that is coming up. We need His blessing more than anything else. We need the blessing of the Lord and how He wants to bless. But here in Leviticus chapter 26, here we see that the Lord he is instructing Israel. In verse 1 it says, You'll make no idols or graven image, neither rear you up a standing image, neither shall you set up any image of stone in your land or to bow down to it. For I am the Lord your God. Ye shall keep my Sabbaths, reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Walk in my statutes, keep my commandments and do them. And as they do that, then he says, then, 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 then I will give you rain in due season. The land shall yield her increase. The trees of the field shall yield her fruit. Verse 5 says, your threshing shall reach the vintage and the vintage shall reach unto the sowing time. And ye shall eat your bread to the full, dwell in the land safely. I'll give you peace in the land and ye shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid. And I will rid evil beasts out of the land, neither shall the sword go through your land. And ye shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword. Five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight. Your enemy shall fall before you by the sword. I will have respect unto you. I will make you fruitful. I will multiply you. I will establish my covenant with you. You will eat the old store, bring forth the old because of the new. And I will set my tabernacle among you. And my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you. I will be your God. You'll be my people. I am the Lord your God, which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt, that you should not be their bondmen. And I have broken the bands of your yoke and made you go upright. God led forth divine laws with Israel. If you walk in my way, if you honor my name, if you have respect for my house and my ways, then I'll supernaturally open the windows of heaven and I'll pour upon you the blessing of the Lord. I will give you the increase 
It's a supernatural work of God. God breaks forth on the left, on the right, because the people of God have honored the Lord. The Bible says, they that honor me, God says, I shall also honor. There's a God in heaven that hears the cries of His people. There's a God that hears the yearning and the intercession of His saints. And there are divine laws that are set forth that will never fail. He's established that in the natural, but it's also the same in the spiritual. And this is very important. I believe that the Lord has burdened me with this word for this people at this time. Because I believe that we're on the threshold of God stepping into the boat. And when God steps into the boat, brothers and sisters, everything, everything is going to change. It's not, it's not just business as usual. But when God steps into the boat sovereignly and purposely and supernaturally, when the Lord Himself steps into the boat, into the lifeboat, everything, everything, everything changes. Now, I, I, want, I want you to hear this this morning. It's so important that you do because it, it, it isn't going to be just business as usual. We've been praying and pleading and crying in intercession. These pews have been wet with the tears of men that have cried out to God for a revival in this land. Mothers have wept the night before a service over sons and daughters that are lost and in that world and going to a hell. Fathers have broke their hearts over prodigal sons that are out in the darkness of that world far from home and going to hell. Tears have run down the cheeks of men and women and intercession has been made and cries and strong groanings have come up from the pews and the altars in this very house. Can I tell you, friends, what goes up simply must come down. There's a time when God moves. There's a time when God steps in. There's a time when God takes the field. And everything changes. Young people, everything changes when God steps in. Everything changed. It's not business as usual. It's not in for 11 and out by 12. I tell you, everything changes when God steps in. I want to ask you this morning, are you ready for change? Are you ready for God to step in, not just to the boat in the general, but are you ready for God to step into your boat? Are you ready for God to step into your life, to step into your home? To step into your boat because when God steps into your boat, when God stepped into the boat of Peter 2,000 years ago in flesh, Peter's life was never going to be the same again. Are you willing for change? Are you ready for change? And the prayers and the cries for revival and the move of God. And you know the testimonies of revival. And we've read the books and we have the tapes and we've wept and cried over the powerful testimonies of God moving. But when God steps in, everything changes. Everything changes. Paul writes these words in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7. He says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Here's divine spiritual laws. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Let us not be weary and well-doing. What does it say? For in due season... We shall, would you say it? We shall reap if we faint not. There's divine laws. Listen, it's, it's, it's right to pray and it's essential that everything's soaked in prayer and with tears and intercession and that will not change. But I want to ask you this morning, is there an expectancy in the very heart of this fellowship? Is there a heart of faith and expectancy in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ with all the death and all the spirit of Antichrist and everything that's happened in a very short space of time and our young people, our young people particularly, as a band of young men and women across our nation that have been infiltrated and indoctrinated by the power of hell and demonic spirits, 
But is there an expectancy in our hearts that God's able to move? Is this just a waiting room for heaven? Or is this a birthing chamber of souls? Is this a place where there's groans and cries and tears and a yearning and a longing? God, it's time for you to move. Their souls are going to hell. Lord, would you move us with your compassion? Would you put your compassion in our hearts? Have you God's compassion? Have you Christ's compassion? When he looked and he saw them coming, he was moved with compassion. He seen them, they were like sheep without a shepherd. What are you looking at and what do you see? I tell you, friends, we're on the verge of a great crest, a great wave of revival. We're on the crest of God about to step into the boat. To everything there's a season. To every purpose under heaven, there's a time to be born. There's a time to die. There's a time to plant. And there's the time to pluck up. But there's a season. There's a time of refreshing. There's a time when the waves of revival come flooding in. You turn to the prophet Joel, if you would turn over to that little book, and the chapter opens that the enemy has come. There's an army that's coming. The land has been led waste. The saints are mourning. The fields are wasted. The new wine has dried up. The field has perished. The seed is rotten. The barns are broken. That's, this is the spiritual context. This is the spiritual landscape that we're introduced to in the little prophet Joel. We see the despair and the waste and the mourning. We see the barns are broken, the seeds rotten, and then there's an alarm. Now I want to tell you, friends, I believe this morning that an alarm has been sounded over these past number of years from the pulpits, not all, but many pulpits, or certainly some pulpits, certainly in the remnant church, there's been an alarm that has been sounded from the desks. An alarm has gone out to the people of God to awaken. We've been found wanting in this hour. We've had a name that we're alive. Men would say we're living like Sardis. But when Jesus walked in the midst of the church at Sardis, He says you've a name that you're alive. But when He walked the eyes, He said you're dead. We have a form we have a form of godliness, but we're denying the living reality of the power of a risen Christ. We've been found in these days as the alarm has been sounded, particularly from this pulpit and others, there's an alarm has gone out. Blow ye the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy mountain. We see the spiritual condition wasted. The new wine is dried up. It perishes. The barns are broken. And then the alarm. God sends His Word. He sends His prophetic message. There's been a prophetic message that's been sounded in these days. Blow the alarm. Sound the alarm. You know what the tragedy is? So many have not heard the alarm. They still go to church three times a week, but they haven't heard the alarm. Their ears are hardened to the sound of the alarm. Blow the trumpet, Joel 2, verse 1. Look what it says. Blow ye the trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord. Oh, the day of the Lord cometh. It is very near. Christ is coming. How many saints believe that Jesus is coming? How many know that we're, that we're here in the last of the last days and Christ is about to come? Blow the alarm, the day is near. The Lord says in Joel 2 verse 12, Therefore also now saith the Lord, Turn, turn, turn ye to me with all of your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. I want you to rend your heart, not your garments. Turn unto the Lord your God. He is gracious. He's merciful. He's slow to anger. He's great. He's of great kindness and repenteth him of the evil. 
In verse 14, who knoweth if he will return, repent, and leave a blessing behind him, even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God. Blow, blow the trumpet in Zion. Sanctify the fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children and those that suck the breast. Let the bridegroom go forth. Uh, from his chamber and the bride go out of her closet. Verse 17, let the priests and the ministers of the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, Lord, spare thy people, O God. Give not thine heritage to reproach, and the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, where is their God? I want to tell you, friends, what that world's saying and all the politics and all the commotions and all the agendas and all that's going on. Do you know what they're saying? This is the bottom line of it. Don't forget this. They're simply pointing at the church of Jesus Christ and they're saying, where is your God? That's what they're saying. That's why they're mocking that's why they're doing what they're doing. That's why all the agendas of men driven by the spirit of Antichrist is all around us. And they're pointing the finger at us and they're saying, where is your God? Can I tell you, friends, God's not finished yet. I tell you, God's not finished yet. Divine laws, verse 18. It breaks because there was a people. There was a people that were called together. There was an alarm that came through the prophet, there was a trumpet that was blowing. That was the proclamation of the word. And that's what we have heard in these days, in these years, particularly over these last few years. There's a call. There's a cry. It's a prophetic cry. It's a call from heaven. It's a call from the throne of God. It was a call to gather and to weep and to cry unto the Lord. And there has been weeping. And there has been tears. And there has been intercession. And people have rendered their hearts. Then, there's a then. <laughs> there's a then. Then will the Lord be jealous for His land and pity His people. The Lord will answer and say unto His people, Behold, here's these divine laws. I will send you corn, wine, and oil, and ye shall be satisfied therewith, and I will no more make you a reproach. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice. Verse 21, for the Lord will do great things. Praise the Lord. I don't know if that excites you this morning. Are you allowed to get excited, brother? Praise the Lord. I tell you, the greatest days are ahead of us. Listen, Brothers and sisters, the greatest days, 34 years of the blessings of the Lord and the mighty hand of God upon this work, I'm here to tell you, I believe this, that the greatest days of the church are not behind her, but they're before her. The greatest days of the church is not behind her. I know there's a lot of people want us to shut the doors, stay in, just wait for the Lord to come. But I want to tell you, friends, this morning, the greatest days of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is before us. Jesus said, I'll build my church. Glory to God. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against her. He's still building His church. In verse 23 of Joel 2, says to the people of God, Be glad then, ye children of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God. He's given you the former. Reign moderately, and He will cause to come down for you the rain, the former and the latter rain in the first months. Look at this. This is a spiritual outpouring of the Spirit of God. The floors are full of wheat. The fats overflow with wine and oil. There's the restoration of the years that the locust has eaten. The canker worm, the caterpillar, the palmer worm. My great army that I sent among you. You'll eat the plenty. Be satisfied. You praise the name of the Lord your God that has dealt wondrously with you. And my people will never be ashamed. Verse 27, And ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, that I am the Lord your God and none else, and my people shall never be ashamed. And it shall come to pass afterward 
that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. Listen, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Old men are going to dream dreams. Young men shall see visions. And upon thy servants and upon thy handmaids in those days will I pour out my Spirit. And I will show wonders in heaven, earth, in the earth, blood, fire, pillars of smoke, the sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the great and the terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. What a day! of blessing this is when God turns the captivity of Zion, when God steps in, when the Spirit of God begins to be poured out upon a people. Young men, young men, young men will see visions. God will impregnate in the hearts of young men a passion for lost souls in this land of ours. He'll birth within them the calling of God. Can I tell you, brothers, and this brother at the front will tell you better than me that every purpose and every plan and every, every eternal purpose of God, it's not birthed in a living room. It's not birthed in a committee. God delivers from committees. It's birthed in the heart of a man or a woman. David Wilkerson, that man of God, stood in Times Square, right in the middle of those streets, and the drugs had ravished the people of that great city of New York. As he stood there, tears began to run down his face. His heart was broken as God birthed within him Times Square Church. It's birthed in a heart. It's not birthed in a committee or a Bible school. But if you get before God, God will give you his heart and his vision for the souls of men. Young men are going to see visions. Old men. Thank God he doesn't leave anybody out. Old men, they dream the dreams. They dream God's dreams and His desires and His purposes. Sons and daughters will begin to proclaim the wonderful works of God. Your son or your daughter might be far in that world tonight, but when God begins to move and take the field, He'll rescue them out of the grip and the power of the enemy. He restores them into the house of the living God, and He gives them a purpose to live. Anybody need God to move? Peter stands in Acts chapter 2 in the day of Pentecost directing, quotes directly from the prophet Joel and says, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. The age of the outpouring of the Spirit of God had begun. And every generation and every culture and everywhere across this land, the church of Jesus Christ should have an expectancy in their heart, no matter how dark or dismal it may be, and no matter how hard it may come, that God, our God, is able to step in at any time and turn the tide of wickedness. Is there a faith? Is there a belief in this, in, this, in this heart of this fellowship this morning at the beginning of this tent mission? Is there a faith? Is there an expectancy? Is there an expectancy? Did you come through these double doors this morning with an expectancy in your heart? Things are going to be different. God's going to come. He's about to step in. Or did you trail yourself through the doors for another Sunday service? It's just as we go on, and this is what we'll do. But surely there's an expectancy in our hearts. Our God, at any moment, able to step into the boat. This is the day of the latter rain. James 5 and 7 says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. The husbandman waited for the precious fruit of the earth, and he has long patience for it until he receive the early and the latter rain. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. This is the time of the latter rain. Laws have been set. Paul writes concerning those laws in 1 Corinthians 3 and 6. He said, I planted... Apollos watered, but God gave 
the increase. That's what Paul said. Neither is he that planteth anything, or neither is he that watereth, but it is God that gives the increase. That's supernatural. What we need for this mission is the supernatural power of a living God. There might be, and there needs to be, the organizing, the putting together, the raising up, the knocking the doors, the giving out the leaflets, the tracks, the prayer, the preparation. But then, it's only God, only God, that can give the increase. That's supernatural. That's the power of the Spirit of God. Friends, is there an expectancy? Should we not come to the throne of grace and say, God, we are bankrupt without you? We, 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 can't, we can't create an access. We can't save a soul. The church can engage itself in trying to get people to join the church. The church can engage itself with trying to sanctify people. But what we end up doing is creating Pharisees. But when the Holy Ghost births a soul and sanctifies a vessel, the power of God's in their life. There's a difference. There's a big difference. When the church tries to sanctify someone, we end up with a Pharisee. But when the Holy Ghost does it, we find a vessel that's free and free indeed. It's a liberty to walk with God. Should it not be in the heart of this church, in the midst of God's people, the redeemed? As we look back over the account of faith in this book and the years of serving, should there not be a faith in our hearts this morning that no matter how far this nation has fallen, no matter how dark the darkness is, that there's a God in heaven that hears and answers the sincere cry of a people for a revival. Did He not say that if I shut up heaven and there's no rain, did he, He said it, if I shut the heavens and there's no rain and we're enjoying the beautiful weather for the minute, but another week or two we'll be complaining that there's no rain. He's saying, if I command the locusts to devour the land, and you know those locusts are not just insects, there's a spiritual dimension to the locusts. The locusts are demonic spirits. Listen to me, friends, it's so important that we don't become cocooned or, or lost in what's really happening in the world around us. The demonic outpouring, Revelation 9 talks of a bottomless pit that is open and there's a smoke of a great furnace. And there's locusts upon the earth and there's power given to them like the power of scorpions that torment men and women. Could I tell you, it's a tormented world. It's a tormented world. The spirit that has infiltrated our young people, they're tormented. Let me tell you, when they mutilate their bodies, they call it whatever they want to call it, but I want to tell you what it is this morning. It is a demonic spirit that is tormenting their little minds. That's what it is, and the church have a responsibility to pray against the principalities and powers. And so we see that the locusts have devoured the land. Do we go beyond the realms of our comfort zone and the comforts of our lives and go in and go down into the gutters and into the places and the dens of iniquity and see the reality of what's happening to our young people? Do we take the time to go onto the streets and to see and to watch? Do you see it as a harvest? Or do you just see it, thank God that's not me? I want to tell you, friends, look, the harvest is white. The demonic strongholds. He said, if I send the pestilence among my people, he said, about those diseases and those plagues, have they come? Have they not come? Yes. Have they not swept across our land, leaving leaving our people just overcome with fear, trembling. Then he says of my people, here's divine laws, which are called by my name, but humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way. We heard this morning, are we turning away from our wickedness? Are we turning away from our unforgiveness? Are we turning away from our loose tongue? Are we doing the devil's work? 
We sit with something in our hearts towards this brother or sister on this side, or do we avoid them because they've said something or done something, and it, and it rests and on forgiveness. It was said in this pulpit uh, some years ago from our brother Ravenhill. It, it, it binds the hands of God that he can't work or that he won't work. He calls us to humble ourselves and turn uh, from our wicked ways, and then I'll hear I'll forgive and I'll heal their land. Oh, how our land needs healed. And you know, as well as I do, if you're trusting in some type of political deal to heal the land, you're trusting in the arm of flesh, friend. Oh, we have to pray for those in leadership, and I understand that. But I want to tell you, it's not going to be by might nor by power, but by the Spirit of God. His ears will be open. His eyes will be open to the prayers. We can understand that there's laws on the natural, laws given to Israel, and laws in the dispensation of grace, spiritual laws. The Bible says, they that sow in tears, what happens? They reap. They reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Can I tell you, friends, I want to encourage you this morning. There's a time of reaping. There's a time of bringing in. There's a time of harvest. There's a time. There's the sowing. There's the plowing. There's the work. There's the labor. There's the toil. But then that's not the end. There's also a time when they come. That's sovereign. But it's a law set forth. One precious soul met the Lord at a well. She drank of the waters, the living waters. Her life was completely transformed. One soul, one wicked sinner, just like me and just like you. A woman with five husbands and the one she's with wasn't her husband. And I'm sure that there might have been a whole scatter of kids as well. But this life was completely transformed with an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to me, friends. She went back into that town so empowered and impacted by the encounter that she had with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know the, 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 the account very well. And she says, come see a man. Come and see this man which told me all things I ever did. Is not this the Christ? I want you to stop for a moment. I want you to see the disciples coming back and the Lord standing and he's looking over as there's, there's, a, there's a cry, there's a multitude that's coming up out of Samaria. And as he looks up, he's moved with compassion. But I want to tell you what was coming because you can't choose the fish that's going to be in this net. Are you hearing me this morning? You're not able to choose the fish that's going to be in the net. He's the one that puts the fish in the net. There's two miracles in that account in Luke 5. We'll close with it in a moment. The first miracle is that he kept every fish in the lake from the net all night. The second miracle is that he filled the net to overflowing. Only God can do that. But as the Lord's looking up over this crowd that's coming, can I tell you, friends, they weren't coming dressed in a shirt and tie like me. They weren't coming along with the King James Bible under their arm, Bertie. They weren't dressed well. They didn't smell well. They didn't look well. But they came because a woman met a man that changed their life. I want to tell you something about the harvest that we're about to see. They're not going to look like us. They're not going to walk like us. They'll not know the church etiquette. They'll not know that you have sat in that same pew for 30 years. They might sit in your seat. And they're going to come through the doors and their hair's multicolored and their face is covered in tattoos and there's, and there's piercings in their eyebrows and their ears and their chin and their lips. And their churches are hanging off them and they're all cut and they're all, all the rest of it. And, and they come and all the baggage and all the garbage and they're walking through the door of the lifeboat in Moy. And it's the harvest. It's the harvest. 
And they're going to come and they'll walk through the doors of this house and many houses and they're looking for an answer. They're looking for deliverance. They're looking for freedom. But they'll not look like us. They'll not talk like us. They'll have no church history. They don't know that Jesus loves me. This I know. This generation that's coming up knew nothing of the things of God. They have no gospel heritage like many of us were privileged to have. But they're going to come through the doors of a house of God and they're looking to have an encounter with Christ. And they'll sit beside you and they won't look right, smell right, or talk right. And yet in something in their heart, by the power of the Spirit of God, He's drawn them into His house because there's a final harvest. And Jesus looked out and he's seen them. And friends, stand in any town or city of our land. Just stand there on a daytime and just watch and see the young people completely given over to every type of demonic spirit. We sat and watched a young man not so long ago and walking down the street there in, in Lisburn and his jeans hardly was a there was hardly any jeans left. He'd cut holes in them from the top to the bottom. His hair was multicolored. And this lad was just overcome, you know, by the demonic powers of this age. But I tell you, friends, I didn't stand there go and look at the state of him. I says, God, this is our harvest. This is our harvest. Will you take them to your house? Will you clothe them? Will you feed them? Will you love them? Will you hold their hands through a night when they're shaking with the powers of drugs and drink in their body? Will you pray them through? Will you love them? Will you have compassion? Compassion. He was moved. The Bible says he was moved with compassion. I want to ask you, friend, is there compassion? God's compassion. Right in the depths of your heart, is it the compassion of the Savior? Is it the compassion for a lost world? Because I tell you what's coming. Because they've been so open to demonic spirits that we didn't necessarily have a generation ago. It's, it is a different age. It's a different time. But it's the same gospel. It's the same Christ that's able to set the prisoner free. And they're coming. You see them? Jesus says the fields are white. It's just now turned from green to white and you look over the field. That's our harvest. That's our harvest that's coming. They're coming with all the issues, but I know that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. The power of the new birth to save a soul, to set a prisoner free. This woman brought her friends with her. If that's what the life she lived, can you imagine the friends that, that she run around with? Can you imagine what she was bringing? The prostitute, the drug addict, the alcoholic. They don't know what they are. They don't know their identity anymore. This is the final fling of Satan to destroy what God has made as a man and a woman. That's his final fling. That's his final fling. They don't know what they are. They don't know what to believe. They've been infiltrated by that internet, the influencers, the TikToks, the Instagrams. And that's what their minds have been influenced. That's the devices and the power of Satan of this age. But this is the gospel age. And God knew before time that this age would come, but He also has instructed us that the gospel is the power of God on the salvation. Still sets the prisoner free. Glory to God. Still breaks every chain of sin, every drug, every habit, every immoral habit. Think about it, they're coming. They're going to come in and they're, they're going to look very different. This transgenderism has been birthed, listen, has been birthed in hell itself. But there are precious souls that need saved. They need saved. It's very few families are not going to be touched with the spirit of this age. And then they come. I'll close with Luke chapter 5. Here we see a multitude pursuing the Lord. The Bible says in the first verse that they pressed upon him to hear the word of the Lord.
Imagine a day where people are pressing, pressing into a little tent, pressing into the halls, and the churches across this island pressing again because they want to hear the Word. Think about that. It's hard even to get the church to press in to hear the Word. Never mind the world. They were hungry. They met this man. They wanted to be with him. And in the sovereign purposes of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret and he saw two ships standing by the lake and the fishermen were going out of them and they were washing their nets. And he here chooses to step in to one of the ships, which is Simon's. I, I just see the sovereign purposes of God in a life. The sovereign purposes of God for a people. He chooses to step into the boat of one called Simon. These men were tired. These men have been laboring. These men have been toiling. These men have been mending those nets. They've been out all night. They're, they're now just clearing up. It's now day. And Christ comes and they see the multitude. And you can see the weariness. And, and now he says to Simon, Now Simon, I'm just going to step into this boat. And he says that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down. And he began to teach the people. When he left speaking, verse 40, he says unto Simon, Now Simon, launch out into the deep and let your nets down for a draft. What words. What a moment. What a moment in the history of the life of one called Simon Peter. A tired, a weary vessel. He had labored, he had wept. He'd gone through, as it were, the, as, as we have in the cries and the intercessions, the tears. Lord, Lord, we need a move of your Spirit. He said to Simon, launch out into the deep. And let down your nets for a draft. I want to ask you, friend, this morning. Are you willing to let Jesus step in to your boat? Would you be careful how you answer that? Very careful. Because I believe that there's a lot of people that sit in pews that don't want Jesus to step into their boat. They're happy they're saved and they're going to heaven and it's glory all the way. But you see, when Jesus steps into your boat, everything's going to change. Everything's going to change. Your life's never going to be the same. The call of God. God had an eternal purpose for Simon Peter. Simon Peter wasn't aware of it, but he was just doing what he was doing. He was mending the nets. He was, he'd been out all night. He was a fisherman. He was ignorant and unlearned. But as he was mending those nets, he must have caught the words that fell from the Savior's lips as he taught the people. And his heart was warmed and he hears the words, Simon Peter, just launch out a little bit further into the deep, the call of God. Can I tell you, friends, God's calling young men and young women in this room. He's calling you. A strong sense of the call and the purposes of God. He's calling. Launch out into the deep. Simon, of course, says, Master, we've toiled all night. We've taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, we will let down thy net. And when he had done this, he enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and the net began to break. I tell you, friends, when God steps into the boat, when God himself steps in, this is what we've longed for. This is what we've prayed for. This is what we've preached till we're, till we're weary and tired. This is what we've met for nights of prayer for. 
This has been in our hearts. It's not a work of man. It's not something that we thought was a good idea. I believe that for many years, God the Holy Spirit has planted His purposes and His seed for revival into the hearts of a remnant of people across this island. And you know, friends, there might be times we're tired and weary and we just don't know whether we can keep going on, but there's something that just like the prophet of old begins to burn again in our bones. We can't give it up. We can't walk away because this is what we've called. We've been called for. We've been called to the kingdom for such a time as this. And there's a strange warming. And there's a burning and it's like there's a hook in our jaw and, and it pulls us again and it draws us again. Launch out. Launch out into the deep. And Jesus steps into the boat. Can I tell you, friends, when Jesus steps in, when He steps in to the lifeboat in the moy, when Jesus steps in, I tell you, those doors, those doors, and that barn is way too small for what God's about to do. It's way too small. There's a harvest. The net was so full it began to break. There wasn't the room to draw it in. Other ships were called that their boats and their nets were full also. This is the moment when God steps in to the boat. I close with this one question. Are you willing, are you willing to let God step in to this boat? Your boat. I pray that every answer and every heart in this room is saying, yes, Lord, have your way. Father, this morning, Lord, we're asking for your help. Lord, to apply thy word to our hearts. We're asking for great help in these days. Lord, we're asking you to step into this tent mission. We're asking you to take the, take the field. Lord, we're asking you to lead it. We're asking you to bless it. We're asking you to be everything in it. Lord, would you do such a mighty work? Lord, would you do such an awesome work? Lord, would you step into every life and every person in this room? Would you step into our boats, Lord? Oh, God, have your way. Lord, we say, have your way. Let thy will be done. Oh, God, have your way in every life this morning. We come with faith and expectancy. Lord, surely it's time. It's time. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.